This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Women Tech Charge is sponsored by Huawei. 20 years connecting the UK. Hi and welcome to this episode of Women Tech Charge. My name is Amri Mafadon and I am your host. And today I am joined by Toby Oradine, who is founder and CEO of Black Ballad, um, whose goal is to empower every black woman to change her world through every click she makes and every conversation she has. Welcome, Toby. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> this is, it's, it's pseudo surreal. Because I talk about Black Ballad all the time. So, but with everything that's been going on recently, one of my big kind of anti-racist things that I want people to do is to diversify what they consume. And Black Ballad is always number one on the list of like, just read, just read something different from a different perspective so that you can just learn that there are different perspectives and people see things differently from how you might have. If we roll back, I guess, a little bit, you've always wanted to be a writer. Have you always wanted to be a lifestyle, women's lifestyle writer? Always. My 11th or 12th birthday, my dad said, what do you want? I said, I want a subscription to Cosmo Girl. And he's like, what? He's <laughs> 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 like, what? And I was like, I want a subscription to Cosmo Girl. And he said to me, you have to explain why you want this. And I explained to him why I want this. And I said, you know, and if you do get me the subscription to Cosmo Girl, when we shop in Sainsbury's, I promise you won't find me in the magazine aisle anymore. I will follow you guys around. So I used to go and read all the mag- women's magazines. I'd be standing there for like 40 minutes and I'd read everything. I got a subscription to Cosmo Girl when I was about 11 or 12. I was in like secondary school. And I remember I literally walked around the playground and literally have my head in oh, like the magazine. Okay. <laughs> and I was such a like neat, I would like copy the writing and like study the writing style and then my dad was like you want to be a journalist right he's like but you've you've got to study as well so I had to really balance like studying and then on the weekends I would read my magazine (laughs) and I would kind of practice headlines and sales and like writing styles and I'd also think about what was wrong with these magazines because even then I was like nobody looks like me but okay and then I'd be like oh if I could do this so this journey has started way before I think I was even conscious about it. 
So I have never, ever wanted to be anything but a woman's lifestyle writer. There's just something about the comfort of words in a magazine that is unexplainable to me. It, it feels like magic and it's so geeky, I guess. But there's just something that I just can't, I can't explain how being kind of like brought up as an only child, the comfort I had in magazines. And I wanted to give that comfort to other people. It, it kept me company. It made me laugh. It made me cry some of the stories. And I wanted to create those feelings for other women. So there's never been anything else. It's been very specific from like day dot. That's beautiful. It's, it's evoking those emotions in others and, and a sense of support, which I've never, ever heard a writer say that's why they want to be a writer. So did you study English or English Lit or journalism or what was your... American studies. <laughs> American studies. Okay. Talk, talk me through that one. I did American studies <laughs> at King's College in <laughs> London. Because? And um, so my A-levels, my favourite book is The Colour Purple. And I studied the American Civil War. And I was very interested in race relations. And I was like, hmm. And I started reading around like America. And I was kind of like, they really take race seriously there. And there was all these questions that popped up in my head. And then I basically was like, I really like English, but we don't read any, we don't read anything about black people. So this was my chance to go and read about black people. So when I got to university, I picked all the African American modules. And that was very, very influential in why I started Black Ballad as well, because language has developed so much in the past decade. I don't think, you know, we were very, we was, we were as conscious about identity and community as we are now. And I would be studying like anything that would be, you know, whether it be like African-American like politics or history modules or English. And they had their own magazines. They had their own like educational institutions. There was a real culture there. And I was just kind of like, where is that in Britain? I didn't even know slavery existed in this country until I got to uni. And like kind of learning about the slave trade in America kind of put me on a path to kind of research what was happening in this country, what happened in this country. So it was just my interest in race, again, at A-level, that spurred the degree. And then from a degree, spurred Black Ballad again in terms of where was this publication to kind of really tell our stories as Black women? There's triumphs and there are celebrations, but there's challenges. And I was like, where is this place? Because America really has it. They, they document their history, not just academically, but in their publications. And I think that was something that was very, very interesting to me and something I didn't feel that was here. And, and, I, and I hope that's what Black Ballad will do. It has documented the Black British female experience for the last seven years. And I think that's really important. I think the reason why we've got you here, the podcast is obviously called Women Tech Charge. But what I loved, what I love about your story, I love about what you're doing is you're a writer who, is, who has used technology to kind of take charge of that problem that you identified. And you're using that to kind of document this, tell these stories, but make sure that there's there's a trace left or make sure that there's artifacts left or make sure that you know there, there's something that people can look back to but you're in control of it when we talk about history or when we talk about the experiences that have gone before there's nothing to say that Windrush happened slavery happened but lots of other things also happened as part of that experiment or part of that part of the history even sorry not experiment but anyone that's tried to archive it anyone that's tried to put it down either they've done it and because they weren't necessarily didn't have the agency didn't have the power it's been kind of forgotten or it's been left behind or people have proactively gone and kind of erased there's been quite a big erasure of so many stories and so many things that have happened which now you're able to use technology in the now to document it as it's happening 
Um, and it won't be erased this time, which I think is, is kind of the nicer, but it's technology being able to empower that. What were you doing that made you start Black Ballad? And what did you think you would be doing in this year of our law 2020? I was a lifestyle journalist. I had worked in many women's publications and entertainment publications. And I had some very interesting experiences while I was a journalist. I think one of the most defining experiences I had was I was interning for a publication, I won't say which one, the year Whitney Houston died. And they did like a special tribute issue. And I was just looking through it. And bearing in mind, I was the only black person in the office. They had a baby picture or a child picture of Whitney Houston. And I realised it was Oprah Winfrey. <sighs> and I said to, I said, I said to one of the editors, um, by the way, guys, like you do know that's Oprah. I know it's been printed, but maybe you should get ahead and kind of apologise. And I kid you not, everyone was like, oh, she's got such an attitude. Oh, who does she think she is? And I, li- I literally wanted the floor to swallow me up. And I, I, and I was, I felt so silenced. I felt like I should never have said anything. I, I just, I even now speaking about, it, I feel, I feel hot. Like I, it was such a traumatic experience for me that the whole office was literally talking about how I w- had a nasty attitude. Like I should know my place. And I remember being like, I don't want to feel like this. Like I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to feel like this. And it wasn't, it wasn't done to embarrass anyone. It wasn't done to, for malicious intent. It was like one, you're factually wrong, and we're journalists. We should be better than this. And two, like why not get ahead of the game? Why not say like, we really messed up and we're apologising? And that was when I think, I I think that was the first time I thought, I don't think, I want to do journalism, but I don't think I want to be in these type of offices. I don't think I want to be doing that. So then um, I was, I think I I was, I got a a full-time job after that. And I was in the office for about a year, year and a half. It was, it was slightly better, different, in a different publication. I made friends with the sub-editors in this like new full-time job who were like in their 50s and 60s. They were amazing. They took me under their wing. They really taught me about journalism and I was eager to learn. But my sort of like features desk where it was kind of younger, like a younger table, again, being the only black woman on the desk, no one really spoke to me. Like I was most junior and you could kind of tell that they kind of didn't want me there. I used to eat lunch by myself in my breaks. I'd call my mom or I'd call my boyfriend and I'd just be like, yeah, like I spent the whole day not talking to anybody. And like, I kind of was just like, okay, fine. Like, I, I kind of thought that's just what it was. Like, you're the new girl. And I didn't quite have the language to kind of articulate what was wrong. And then my contract came to an end and then I decided to freelance, but I wanted stability. I couldn't kind of secure a job. And I got really obsessive about it. I was applying for numerous jobs. And then I was like, who's getting the jobs that I wanted? And I started tracking down who was getting these jobs. And everyone was kind of very thin, very white, and kind of like, they looked very similar. And again, I I didn't have the language to articulate why I wasn't getting these jobs in women's lifestyle magazines. But it dawned on me that I wasn't going to get those jobs. And I applied for one final job. And I just said, enough is enough and I was like I know that I'm talented I know that I'm a I, I'm creative I've got a good good mind so I was like why don't I just do something and I'm super passionate about black women I was always talking about there's nothing for black women not in Britain like Ebony and Essence are amazing and I wish we had that and I was like there's nothing here that I think is for me as a black millennial that kind of encompasses everything from careers to you know uh, beauty, the whole spectrum of what it is to be a black woman. 
And I was like, there's, there's, there's something here. I think I can do this. And I gathered all the my friends who I thought were super talented. I devised like a social media team, a writer's team, a sub-editor team. And I had like a design. One of my friends was like the designer. And then I got the, the uh, website made on the cheap. It was a WordPress template. And eight months later, we launched. And I had, I had no idea what I was going to be in for. I had no idea... I had no idea that so many other black women wanted it. I was shocked. The first day we launched, I remember like friends were sending me messages and screenshots of their friends that they had either text or WhatsApp and was like, have you seen this new site? It's really good. Now I was thinking, oh, people are just being nice. But that week, everyone kind of kept messaging me about it. And I was like, maybe this thing's going to work. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's all right. Maybe maybe it's okay and I thought you know what I'll have it on the side and then someone will employ me eventually so I thought it was just going to be my I thought it was going to be my side hustle I didn't think it was going to be a fully fledged business that was going to end up employing people I thought it was going to be my side hustle and then I thought I'd be working at the stylist or Marie Claire because like they would see that I've done this amazing thing and they want to hire me (laughs) do you know what I mean (laughs) And um, that didn't happen. (laughs) I want to go, so you're saying it still hasn't happened because I want to go into that a little bit because I think there is something of actually, you know, you seeing that it worked well and you having that audience and you being a writer that's built something up like that, we could almost kind of say the same thing again, right? If we look at the kind of acquires or the acquisitions other people have made of other platforms, if you did look like one of those people that was getting those jobs, it's possible that they would have still come and kind of knocked on your door and come to, to do something, but that's still not something that's necessarily happened. No. So I was able to be a freelancer, but I was I never got a job like in the office. So I was still kept on the outskirts. That's why I always say that I kind of failed at that whole thing of getting a job in journalism because I never did. I never achieved it. I never got the job that I I thought I was destined to get that I, I grew up wanting. I've never wanted to do anything but be a journalist. But then you created the perfect job for you. Failing in getting that job was probably the best thing that ever happened to me because I'd never be sitting here. Women Tech Charge is sponsored by Huawei. 20 years connecting the UK. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. So you are founder and CEO of Black Ballad. What's the kind of longer elevator pitch for Black Ballad at the moment? Because I know you've just kind of refreshed things. We see ourselves as a media and data company for black women. And that kind of evolved naturally. Of course, you know, the media element is from 
my career as a journalist, being in women's lifestyle and not seeing myself or my friends who were black in the pages and in the offices. And then I think when we were writing articles, um, I had a big push of quality journalism. I didn't want 800 word opinion pieces and that's it. I kind of wanted our journalism to be up there that was kind of going towards like New York Times and investigations and that also had real emotion. So to do that, you kind of need to do research, right? You need to kind of find stats if you're kind of um, doing some investigations. And one of the first investigative pieces we did was about the black experience in higher education. And that was just from a student's perspective and like lecturer's perspective. And that was done in I think about 2014, 15. And the person I commissioned to write it couldn't find any real stats about the challenges that black students face in the UK or how many kind of lecturers there were in the UK, black lecturers in the UK kind of university scene. It was really hard to find those stats. And I thought this shouldn't be that hard, right? And like, she kind of had to kept referring to like American stats or we kind of had to do like British stats that encompassed everybody. So from then on, it was how can we be a great platform and run quality journalism when we don't even have statistics that kind of makes our journalism more meatier? So that was what I was thinking about. And then in 2020, the year we are in now, my co-founder and I had been thinking about how do we do data? Like, how do we find out statistics that are really important to making sure that the Black community in Britain and beyond, even in Europe, can thrive? Because numbers don't lie and people say, you know, you're a little bit emotional about that issue. Do you not think? Or is it really like that? Sometimes you just need numbers to really back you up. So in 2020, we won a grant from the Membership Puzzle Project in America to look at a particular issue about the Black community. And we did uh, Black Motherhood. And that was our chance to do data. So we ran a survey and we surveyed over 2,500 Black women. And that was when we said, we found out so many things about Black women's journeys through pregnancy and motherhood. And we were just kind of looking at each other as this small three-person team and just thinking, what else don't we know about the Black woman's experience in Britain and in Europe? What else don't we know? And who should have got that? I think that's the thing that, that is always alarming with so many of these discussions, so much of these statistics is... Um, so Nicola Rollock uh, was the, kind of did a little bit of research kind of last year, year before. There are only 25 black female professors across the whole of the UK. And it's always, for me, it's always alarming. Um, and this is kind of on the black female experiences, on the black experiences, even on the, on the women's experiences, how little of this we've got charted, how little of this we've got measured, how little of this is we've gathered. And something like female professors, you know, they're in institutions. They're part of what is there. So how is that not a stat that we've we've been able to access? But like you're saying, therefore, there's so many more things that we should be measuring that we've not even got the basics ready to then be able to say, actually, even if it's, you know, pregnancy or, or some of the things that you're mentioning, these are the nuances. We want to get beyond just the first stage. 100%. Um, 100%. So when we did the survey, we was like, yeah, okay, like, let's, let's be, let's be forthright with the data. Let's kind of think about how we're going to gather this data, the good we're going to do with this data. And I guess how we're going to distribute this data, because there's so many people that will want to know about this data. I think the black community and black women in particular want to know about this data. I think it could help academics. I think it could help society in general. Um, so as well as the media being a really important part and the heart of Black Ballad, now we are a data company. We are a company that is driven to collect data on the Black women's experience, not just to better the products that we provide, but to hopefully better the Black community, community's experience in Britain and beyond. 
Mm. And so for you, you when you started, so kind of you've spoken about how you got to the data side. For you, you started off with it as a media platform. And what has your tech journey been like? I'm forever indebted to technology. It lowered the barriers for me to be able to start a publication. And I think that's really, like, I think that's where technology has played the most important part in my journey personally. You know, I come from a working class background. I would never have been able to afford the materials to create a print publication, the PR. We created like a mini video that we put snippets on Instagram and Twitter. And like to have that sort of campaign for print, it would have, it would have run in the thousands. And I, I would never have had that money. But technology really lowered the barriers and kind of made a more even playing field from people like me. I think the other thing for me, technology has kind of been able to build communities. And I think that's how I best use technology in my job is that I've been able to build a community of black women and build this space that is safe and is non-judgmental. And I think speak about things that we speak about between, you know, in our family household, maybe one, two friends, but beyond that, um, so I'm forever indebted to technology and how it has been able to create Black Ballads. I think the other thing that I've always really appreciated about, about Black Ballad and what you're trying to do is that if we go back to that whole documentation side of things, and I think it's kind of testament to you wanting to kind of go deep on your community and kind of fully understand them, that you've actively, proactively gone you know, we have, I think you've just launched the editors across the Southwest, but you, you're like, we've got editors across, we've got the funding for this, we're investing in those black women outside of London, which I think is also a very new thing. Yeah, I think I was, I've, I've been always been conscious that Black Ballad can't afford to repeat the, ma- the mistakes of mainstream media. There can't just be one dominant voice and that be the Black London voice. Um, and that's just been something from, I've always been kind of, anxious about like oh, I don't want to repeat that mistake and then you know our editor Jandela Benson who came on board full-time um this year she was been working as our commissioning editor it was a conversation that we just kept talking about and Jandela is actually from Birmingham and she now lives in London with her family and um I think just having that insight from her about life uh, growing up in you know being black and Birmingham you know she was the only black girl in her class whereas you know I been born and bred in East London the majority of my teachers were black in school we were just constantly talking about it and and this opportunity came about and we pitched this idea to Nesta and we won £70,000 and we literally said you know we're not even going to commission the stories because I don't know what it's like to be a black woman from Scotland I don't know what it's going to be like to be a black woman who's in Cornwall so why don't we empower you know nine editors across Britain to commission other black women to write these stories um and I think it was really important for us to give power to other black women not just bring them on as writers and then we kind of edit their work like to put them in powerful positions so they was actually actively making decisions on the content and I've been blown away by the content there's some histories that I you know there's real history in there like it's a nine-week takeover and it's not just going to be like nine weeks then we stop we're going to make sure we have editorial policies in place and, you know, constantly seek out these stories so that it just becomes a natural part. So when you're reading Black Ballad, if you're reading about something from, you know, a black woman in Bolton, it should be like, it shouldn't even be strange to you anymore. It'll be like, oh, OK, that was really cool. Like, yeah, I, like, I really needed to read that. Um, so, yeah, we've just been proactive in that. And I think 
I think that was it for me. I had to look at Black Ballad and just be honest with myself and say, like, it just wasn't good enough. Um, And I think it's really important for you to critique your business. I think it's really important for you to critique your team and not critique it in a nasty way, but critique it in a proactive way and be like, okay, this is the problem, but how can we get better? There's so much that you're, there's so much that you've been able to achieve with Black Ballad so far. There's so much that I know you've got on your kind of OKRs, your kind of objectives, your visions, whatever, for kind of next year, five years. I think what's the end goal? What's the end game with this? What is your kind of big picture? What should be different? You know, is is it that you're wanting to build this powerhouse media conglomerate that becomes the go-to for kind of anyone that wants to be a journalist? Is it that you're trying to build kind of alumni to then seed across so that, you know, all the spaces that you weren't allowed into, those people will not only be allowed there, but will be thriving there and be running those spaces? What is the kind of, is it is it more on the data side and just actually just mapping life and the experiences we have? What's the big picture, big ticket? How will you know that you have A, finished and B, done a good job? Um, oh, that's a, that's a question. I've asked my question, that question myself. Like, when will I know that my, I, yeah, I'm like, when will I know that I've done my part? Um, for me, I believe that Black Ballad can really be the leading publication uh, for black women in Britain and across Europe. And in certain, I guess, where are the diaspora? So I think like, where is the publication for black women in Australia and New Zealand? Like, where is it? Like, you know, you have the African-American voice, which I think is very pronounced and it's it's loud and it's clear. And I think our voice is, is clear and I think it's pronounced, but it's just not loud. I think like, the, you know, those of us that kind of, have our heritage country, but we exist in, you know, Western countries, you know, I want to magnify those voices, not just in Britain, but as I said, for me, it's Europe, it's Australia. I want us to be the number one media company in those countries and um, and continents. Data is super important. It's about making sure our data documents the black female experience, especially across Europe. I, I want to get to a place, you know what, I think I'll get to, I think I'll know when I'm done. Well, not only we've conquered Europe, but when people start writing academic texts and books on the black experience and they're not referencing America, they're not referencing African-Americans, when there's enough, there's enough rich data and not just like quantitative data, but qualitative data through these stories that we've done to make great academic texts and to make great books, whether they be nonfiction or fiction, that's when I think I'll be able to be like, yeah, I think we've done a good job. I think that's it. So our, our experience in Britain is so rich and I just think it just deserves a platform. I just think it deserves to be documented a little better. Mm-mm, it does. Here, here. Thank you so much, Toby. I wish you well. I know you'll achieve all of that <laughs> uh, and much, much more. So thank you very much. Thank you for being a woman who took charge and thanks for being Thank you for having me. It's just, it's one of my favourite podcasts, so thank you. Mm 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com.